This is the L2 Capital Podcast with Hedge Fund Manager Marcelo Lopez. The L2 Capital Podcast focuses on potential opportunities in the market and brings to your industry leaders and an intelligent conversation about their respective areas of expertise. And now, here's your host, Marcelo Lopez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the L2 Capital Podcast. I have the pleasure to talk today with Paul Ma from CGN. Paul is the Director of Capital Operation in charge of Overseas M&A for CGN Mining, and he's also a board member at Fission Uranium. This is the first time CGN is participating in a podcast, and I'm very happy to be the host of this conversation. CGN Mining is one of the listed arms of CGN Group, the third largest nuclear power group in the world. So, Paul, welcome to this program. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Hi, Marcelo. It's a pleasure to talk to you as well. I really appreciate uh, you provide this platform for us. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Paul, I've been in the uranium markets for just over a couple of years now, and many investors ask me about China and its companies. So could you please talk a little bit about yourself and CGN? Okay. So my name is Paul Ma, and uh, I've joined uh, CGN Mining for like uh, 10 years now. And uh, I have a lot of experience in the uranium trading, uranium exploration, uranium mining, and uh, uranium investment. Uh, and CGN Mining uh, is the sole platform of CGN for the abroad uranium activities, including uh, financing activities for the uranium mining and uh, merge and acquisition activities. So uh, in the future, in the long run, our plan is to build CG Mining, one of the world's leading uranium supplier to all the utilities around the world. Brilliant. You mentioned there that uh, you're responsible for M&A. Could you please tell us what you would like to see in a company when you're making an acquisition? I think uh, when I look in an acquisition, you know, cost is always the priority, especially, you know, given consideration to where the market is today. Cost uh, is really, you know, the most important thing for us. Value. And the lucky thing for us, you know, for CD mining is that I think CD mining probably is the only uranium listed company backed by a nuclear operator. I mean, it means that when we uh, go out to seeking M&A uh, opportunities, we are more welcomed than other companies because we are the end user and uh, a lot of seller of uh, uranium assets. They prefer company like CG Mining. You know, we can give them uh, more options than other miners can do. Say that uh, we can provide them some trade contract as well when we offer them to buy part of their assets. So I think uh, this is a very unique opportunity for CG Mining. And uh, that's why we can have the opportunity to acquire assets in Kazakhstan, in Canada. Everybody that uh, the lowest uh, is now in Kazakhstan and Canada. Brilliant. And uh, how are you seeing the uranium market at the moment? Is it a good time to invest in the sector? And uh, what is CGN doing? You know, uh, to give you a short answer, yes, I think uh, it's uh, one thing, a life opportunity for us to make some investment uh, in this market, in the uranium market. I'm very excited that I'm here in this industry. I'm in charge of the overseas merge and acquisition for CGN Mining. So if you want to know the current market, you know, you have to know the history. 
you know, uh, the only way to understand now is to learn the history. So, you know, to answer your question, I want to go back to, to the history. Actually, from millennium year to 2020, in the past uh, two decades, there have been quite some low-cost uh, uranium mines. They have depleted. You know, uh, there, are, there used to be a lot of open pit operations in Canada, a lot of lakes, the Clough Lake, McLean Lake, Rabbit Lake, and there used to be... Granger, a lot of low cost in Australia, a lot of low cost operations, they have depleted. And that is the very first thing you, ne you need to know, that there used to be a high price, 2007. No, 2007, the uranium store price used to be like 142, uh, sorry, $138 a pound. That is incredibly high to compare that to today's market. There were two factors, you know, driven the price that high. The very one is very simple, you know, at that time, people have very high expectation on the nuclear power back to 2007. The second one is that some low-cost uh, mine, they got depleted, and uh, you need new capital, new investment, and uh, that needs to show in the market price. Otherwise, no one invests money to provide you a new production to compensate those collapsed uh, ones. So those two factors have driven, has driven the price to a low, and uh, a lot of hot money rushed into this market, which caused uh, the oversupply issue last until now. So that is the second thing you need to know. The third thing you know you need to know is 2011 Fukushima happens. You know the Fukushima really changed people's expectation over nuclear power, and uh, a lot of countries they suspended. Some countries even announced that they are going to quit on nuclear power, and uh, that changed people's expectation. But uh, actually, if you see the real numbers, the installed capacity of nuclear power has been sustainably increased uh, year by year, even after Fukushima. You know, uh, I don't recall the exact number, but I think, Vincent, maybe you can correct me. I think uh, the installed capacity used to be 369 gigawatts around the world in 2011. And in 2018, the installed capacity increased uh, to 397 gigawatts. So, you know, a lot of people, they just see in the headlines that uh, we are going to create a nuclear power. A lot of countries, they suspend uh, the new build of nuclear power. However, the install capacity has never stopped, and uh, the power generated from nuclear power station has increased uh, year by year. So, which means that actually the demand for uranium has been increasing year by year. So that is the third factor I think everybody should uh, pay attention to. And uh, post uh, Fukushima, I would like to divide it, the history two five years from the year 2011 2015, and we see a lot of utilities. They sign new legacy contracts. If you look into the history, it's very interesting. In the year 2012, one year after Fukushima, when the price dropped to around $40 a pound, the utilities signed a lot of long-term contracts with the miner. I think uh, probably that is because the utilities think $40 a pound is the, where the cost is. They don't think the price will go any lower. So they are willing to sign the long-term contract. And uh, also from the year 2011 to 2015, there have been a series of merge and acquisition carried out by the major players. We see Rio Tinto take Hyser, and CGN we take Usab, and uh, Chemical increase their share in Millennium. They acquire Illyri in Australia. Rosatom take over Uranium Wine. And the CNNC, you know, acquired a quarter of Lion Henrik. And uh, also, 
for CDM mining, you know, we acquired Samsung and Fiden uh, in 2014 and 2015 as well. I think uh, that is very important because utility is willing to sign long-term contract at the price of 40, and uh, the merge and acquisition was carried out when the price was like $40 a pound or even lower than $40 a pound. So that shows where the market players' confidence is. However, the second five year is from 2016 to 2019. You see no major merge and acquisition, no long-term contract in the past uh, four years or five years. What you see is that the mines has been shut down or decreased their production. Actually, according to WNA, the primary supply from the mines was 62,000 tons a year in 2016. And now it's only... 53,000 tons in 2018. So the primary supply has decreased 15%. And if you remember, the install capacity of nuclear power is increased year by year. The consumption of uranium is increased year by year. So currently we are in a deficit of uranium supply. And this deficit is fulfilled by the stockpile. And the stockpile is built when the price was much more higher than today's price. So, you know, all these things, if you think them together, I think uh, you can reach a conclusion very easily. The current uh, market is not reasonable, and I think the cost will not accept uh, the current uh, price. And the legacy contracts, they are going to expire year by year in the coming years. Because from 2007 to 2012, there are a lot of legacy contracts signed. The long-term contract uh, volume is very high. Usually the contract is uh, 10 years. So it means that the last, the very last uh, long-term contract, uh, legacy contract, might expire in 2022. I don't know, maybe 2025. So it won't be very long. Some of the legacy contracts, they begin Friday. So I think uh, if you give this analysis to the history, you can draw a very simple conclusion. In the future, I don't think uh, there is a lot of chances for the union price to drop any lower. And even it might drop lower in the short run, I don't think uh, they can go very, very low. I think uh, maybe, you know, today's price is just like uh, $24.7 a pound. I don't think the price will go like uh, the year 2017, go back to $17 a pound. I don't think that will happen ever happen again. In the long run, I believe the market uh, will recover, the price will return. So it is a fantastic uh, opportunity, fantastic time point for the investors to invest more in this sector. Well, thanks for that, Paul. CGN has a trading arm. So why wouldn't CGN buy the uranium it needs uh, or it wants to stockpile from the spot market where the price is below $25 a pound? That's a very good question. <laughs> Actually, you know, the price is below $25 a pound, but uh, I don't think uh, you can buy as many as you want. And I don't think the price will always, for instance, I think uh, a lot of miners or producers, they have make it uh, crystal clear they are not willing to sell at 25 
And that's why they reduced their production. That's why they shut down their operation. You see chemicals shut down Makassar River. And you see Kavanaugh Prom, they reduced 20% of their production. Even though I think the Kavanaugh Prom are still profitable at a price of 25. So, you know, in this regard, I think uh, because, you know, the, the nuclear power station uh, is like uh, 60 years life of uh, operation. We need to secure the economy sustainable supply for the reactor for 60 years. So I don't want to risk, risk myself just to take advantage of 25 for like a one year or two year. I need sustainable, economic, efficient, secured supply for all the 60 years of utilities. And uh, Paul, can you tell us about the plans for expansion in other regions, if they exist? I mean, uh, is CGN prospecting uranium in China or, or is it just uh, in Kazakhstan and Canada? So for CGN mining, I can tell you that uh, our priority is cost. And right now, the cost uh, in Kazakhstan and Canada is lowest. So I can say that uh, Kazakhstan and Canada is our preference when we carry out merge and acquisition. So Kazakhstan, there are two factors. One is the in-situ leach. It's a very unique producing method, which needs very low capex and uh, is very safe and very environment-friendly compared with other methods for mining. So uh, that's reason one. The second reason for Kazakhstan have very low cost is the currency. The tanki has, how should I say that, uh, devalued. The tanki is not, when we first uh, enter Kazakhstan, uh, the US dollar, one US dollar equals to 120 tanki. Now one US dollar equals to roughly 350 tanki, the Kazakhstan currency. So that's why the, the cost in Kazakhstan is so low. I think uh, that's very unique. And for Canada, the cost is very low because of the high grade. It's very simple. The grade is very high and reduce the cost. But uh, when I say Kazakhstan and uh, Canada is our preference, it doesn't mean that uh, we don't attach importance to elsewhere in the world. You know, as I mentioned before, uh, CG mining has a unique advantage is we are backed by the world's third largest uh, nuclear operator. And uh, we are the market, we are the consumer. So a lot of uh, project owner, uranium project owner, they have the willingness to sell their assets to us. I can say that uh, we have we, we have been approached uh, by a lot of sellers around the world. They are willing to cooperate uh, with CGN. And uh, I don't care you know, which country it is, uh, as long as the cost is very low, when I say that, you know, maybe the project from Iran is not my <laughs> is not my preference. <laughs> I'm saying that, you know, commercially, if the cost is very low, I will. I think uh, we will have the we will have a better position to approach to those projects around the world. Actually, you know, a lot of companies they have reached me. They say that they want to make an investment in Kazakhstan. They want to make an investment in Canada. But the sellers they don't want to cooperate with those companies. So those companies, you know, they don't have the approach. But different story for CGN mining. We by CGN and we have the approach to acquire those lowest, those those real lowest in Kazakhstan. Canada. Great, great. I've heard that CGN is also investing in a new project in Kazakhstan, in which it will get a 49% stake. 
could you please tell us about it? Mm, yes, <laughs> that's very uh, that is a very exciting exciting uh, product for us. Actually, if you see Kazakhstan attach more and more importance to their uranium assets, and uh, for instance, Pemco used to own 6% of Inkai, and now Chemco only own 40%. They have to transfer 20% of Inkai to Kazakhstan, the state-owned enterprise in Kazakhstan. So it's a very clear signal. Kazakhstan don't want foreign companies to invest more in the uranium mining sector. But uh, as I mentioned, the CGN has a very unique advantage. Uh, we are not just a producer. We are also an end user. We are also the consumer of uranium. So we have very strong relationships with Kazakhstan from, you know, from the country level, from the enterprise level, and we have very strong relationship. And uh, that's why CGM Mining has this unique opportunity. Kazakhstan from agrees to sell 49% of a world-class asset to us. And uh, the project's name, I think uh, you might know that from other stores. There will be two projects. One is called Central uh, Menkuduk. The other one is called Jailpak. Uh, Both projects are under operation right now. For Central Menkuduk, the annual capacity output is like uh, 2,000 tons a year. But after Kazanprom reduced 20% of its output, right now Central Menkuduk uh, produces 1,600 a year. And for Jailpak, it's still at uh, the ramp-up phase. I think uh, in last year, Jailpak uh, produced roughly a little bit uh, higher than 100 tons. And uh, so the designed capacity for Jalpak is 500 tons a year. So it means that uh, once this merge and acquisition is done, we are going to own 49% of Central Menkuduk and Jalpak. And that will increase the uptake volume for CGM mining from Kazakhstan from 588 tons a year to roughly 1,800 tons a year. It means that we will triple our low-cost uptake from Kazakhstan, which will substantially increase the profit of CGM mining in the future. So we are really excited about uh, this project. Uh, we are, you know, we are, we are trying our best to expedite the progress of this. Great, thank you. Um, Paul, can China reduce its already planned investments in the sector, or would you think that they that would be very difficult. So we can count on the construction of six to eight nuclear reactors per year for the next 10 years? <laughs> uh, that's a very... <laughs> the answer of that question, I don't have the answer to that question, and uh, I really want to know that as well. But uh, I can give you some of my personal thoughts about that. You know, if you want uh, professional answers, probably uh, I think maybe we should discuss it uh, with CGM Power or even with uh, the competent authorities. So uh, the following answer, you know, just uh, my personal personal answer. Sure, sure. I think uh, China is still dedicated to nuclear power in the future. So I have great confidence in the future of Chinese nuclear power. And that's part of the reason why I'm very excited for the uranium sector as well. So uh, to know the uh, Chinese future, I think you need to know some background information. So you need to know that uh, right now, the third generation technology has been proved uh, to be feasible in China. Both AP1000 and EPR have commenced commercial operation. And that is a very important uh, background because in the future, I think the new approval or new build of nuclear power 
must be third-generation technology because that is much more safer than the third uh, than the second uh, generation. So China has proved uh, the third generation is feasible. That is very important, and uh, they have set an example for other countries. I believe not only China, other countries they will begin to build EPR AP1000 as well. And second fact uh, is that. Uh, China, its own third-generation technology, namely is progr- uh, the progress is very well. Uh, I think in the year 2018, uh, the demonstration, the protocol tag, the very first of Huanlong 1000, has finished installation of the safety shell. You know, that is a very major milestone to construct uh, a nuclear power plant. It means that uh, all the major equipments has been installed in the nuclear island, and then you are able to uh, seal the the shell. That's a very major milestone to reach, and uh, actually that gave a lot of confidence to the competent authorities. That's why in the year 2019, you see the Chinese government uh, approve four new Huolong 1000. Two of them belong to CNC, uh, and two of them belong to CGN, and uh, two of the four new builds uh, two two of the four approved have commenced uh, construction in 2019. So the mature of the third generation technology has laid a very solid uh, foundation for the future development uh, of nuclear power. And the third, I believe uh, the Chinese government uh, is still very dedicated to nuclear power. If you want to lower the cost uh, of nuclear power, you need to build the same type of reactor in a very big scale. If you just uh, build one or two reactors, the cost uh, will be very high. Because, you know, a lot of have been invested uh, in research and uh, development, uh, and uh, the non-standard, non-standard uh, equipment need a lot of uh, investment. So the only way to reduce the expenditure is to, to dilute the cost, is to build more and more reactors. So from the economy point of view, I think uh, it is not rational, it is not reasonable to just approve four reactors. The only way to lower the cost is to approve more and more reactors to lower the cost. And that is the third one. And the fourth one, I think, uh, uh, if you see the nuclear power data of China, you know, there is a lot of room for nuclear power to grow in the future. Right now, the installed capacity of nuclear power in China is less than 3%, and uh, the electricity generated uh, by nuclear power is less than 5%. It is uh, very, very low. I think the world average uh, level for electricity generated uh, by nuclear power is 10%. So, developed uh, country like the states, UK, and a lot of uh, Korea, South Korea, Sweden, and the average of the developed country is like 20% of nuclear power. So for China, you know, the very first step is that I think China needs to catch up with the world average level to raise its nuclear power to five per- less than 5%, maybe 10%. So to do that, you need to use more nuclear power in the future. So that's why I think uh, I'm very, I myself, very optimistic about uh, China's nuclear future. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, excellent. Very good. Thank you for that, Paul. Now, um, China is investing heavily in the production of nuclear energy, uh, which we know is clean energy. 
And um, China does not produce enough uranium within its borders, so it's prudent to have some stockpiles. Can you tell us a little bit about the ideal level of inventories for the country or for CGN? Is it something that uh, each nuclear plant would have discretion with, or is it a sovereign decision? It's a very it's very hard to, to answer this question. Uh, you know, I can say that uh, I cannot say for the country. I think the country have is a strategic uh, stockpile and. Uh, But uh, different, uh, like the commercial stockpile. I think uh, the country is building the stockpile for the absolute uh, safety for nuclear power. You know, I, I don't think uh, those stockpile controlled by the government will be used uh, easily. And also, I think uh, those stockpile is built when the price was high. And uh, I don't think the government uh, is going to use their stockpile uh, given consideration to today's price. But uh, for the commercial part, I think uh, I can give uh, So usually the utility build its uh, stockpile for two to three years because you, you need uh, two to three years to process natural uranium to the fuel assemblies. Most of the utilities actually The uh, uranium stockpile is very small. You know, uh, I mean, if you compare the uranium stockpile to other stockpile, they have a huge stockpile for the equipment. So because the amount is very small, I don't think the utility really care about the uranium stockpile. You know, it's not only in China, it's around the world. You can see, if you see the static 2019, a lot of utilities to buy from the spot market they don't want to sign a reasonable uh, they, they want to they don't they don't want to sign a long term contract at a reasonable uh, price level i think uh, that is irrational that is irrational if i don't i don't have the specific numbers but uh, i think the year 2018 the volume the spot contract volume double that in, in that of that in 2017 So it means that uh, more and more utilities, instead of building stockpile, they want to buy from the spot market to of the low price of the spot market, and that is not a phenomena because you know uh, we are in a deficit for the primary supply. I think a reasonable utility, if I am a general manager of a nuclear power plant, what I'm going to do is to you know probably I will sign some long-term contract at. Uh, At a level, you know, which is sustainable, which is acceptable to producers, and uh, to secure my long-term supply. Yeah, they just uh, buy from the spot market because no one is going to sell a stockpile to them at 25. But uh, if they say that, hey, I just need uh, 200 tons for my reload, maybe they can raise uh, that amount of uranium. So my my personal understanding is that I think the stockpile is in danger. People are using the stockpile, which they were supposed to be used when the price is high. And now people are using the stockpile when the price, well, the price is very low. So this is a very dangerous signal. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting, Paul. So uh, in your opinion, what are the main risks of the uranium market uh, this year and going forward? I think the main risk uh, is the utility is going to pay for the low price in the long run. Because, you know, the price has been very low in the last uh, five years, uh, from 2016 to 2018. And uh, even the lowest uh, cost uh, producer, Carlton Prom, begin to cut their output, 20% of their output. 
and the Makassar River, world's largest and one of the lowest cost mines around the world, has been shut down. And uh, you see no response from the price. And uh, we are in a huge deficit. We are in a deficit of 14,000 tons a year, the primary supply. You know, that is very dangerous for the long run of nuclear society because most of the reactors need the full life of their operation, which is 40, 60, even 80 years. And now the mines have been shut down and no one is doing anything to prevent from happening. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to shut down, make decisions on a mine. But it can be even longer to restart a mine. For instance, River, they will lay off 400 employees, and uh, all those employees will go to find another job. You know? When the market returns, when the utility realizes they need uranium, where are they going to find employees? Those, you know, it's a very professional employee. They need a lot of expertise to operate a mine like that. So I don't think uh, those mines which have been shut down will come back immediately or shortly. This is a huge risk future of the entire sector. And I think, uh, I really think the price must uh, get back to a reasonable level. Otherwise, it will hurt uh, the, the entire uh, nuclear sector. I even doubt that maybe one day some of the nuclear reactor might have to shut down because of lack of uranium. Wow, interesting, interesting. Paul, uh, listen again, it was a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for coming to this program and help you understand a bit more about CGN and your views. I, I do appreciate it. And it's my pleasure. Thank you for you know taking time to have this uh, discussion with us. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, feel free to forward it to your friends and colleagues. We appreciate your time, support and your feedback. You can follow Marcelo Lopez on Twitter at MALopez1975. The information presented here is not investment advice and should not be taken as such. You should do your own due diligence and consult with your financial advisor before doing anything suggested or mentioned in this podcast. L2 Capital and its partners will not be liable for any losses that occur in doing whatever is discussed in this podcast. <laughs>